Broadcasting live from our satellite studios in Dallas, Texas, it's time for the special on-the-road edition of Learning Insights, featuring learning professionals who are improving performance and driving business results. Welcome back to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. Lee Cantor, Stone Payton here. Also, our friends at Training Pros. We have Pam Porter in the studio with us again, satellite studio here in Dallas. But uh, in this segment, we're going to get a chance to visit with a guy who knows a thing or two about transformative learning, coaching, high potential leadership development programs. Got a lot on his plate. Looking forward to this conversation. Please join me in welcoming to the studio Mr. Ed Rankin, how are you, man? I'm great, thank you. So, Ed, um, we were talking earlier before the, the segment began about high potentials. Uh, what's your thoughts on getting the most out of them? Well, I think that, um, you know, beyond the, the development aspects of high potential training programs, I think one of the things that we don't, we don't think about or we fail to acknowledge is that, that the, the benefit or the, the side benefit of these programs in terms of retention. And um, I think also, too, one of the, the missed opportunities is, is when someone is released from a formal training program, there's a lack of follow-through. And so um, one of the things that I think works really well with high potentials, and it's, there's a lot of research around this, is um, – the implementation of group coaching programs as follow-on sort of to continue the learning experience for those who've gone through the formal training program experience. So they start out, the coaching begins as an individualized one-on-one and they move to a group setting? Well, what's worked well for me has been uh, when we've done our leadership development programs and, um, you know, a a formal program that's sort of multimodal, um, multimedia, um, experiential, uh, the kind of a combination of individual learning um, and group learning and and with a lot of assessment so we understand where the individual and the group are both when they come into the program so um, we so can kind of have a baseline b- before they begin right and we can then kind of craft our curriculum to to meet the needs of both the group and the individual so that the learning is very efficient mm-hmm. Um but what we've done, so we've incorporated um, coaching as a part of the learning process. So, you know, we'll have our classroom experiences. We'll have individually assigned uh, digital learning, um, online learning experiences, um, group work, case studies, things like that. But then there's also an individual coaching protocol that takes place while they're in the program. One of the things I think that's worked pretty well, which I sort of discovered by accident, was once the cohort is graduates, then um, to offer them ongoing group coaching, which has an effect, I think, of keeping the group together a little bit, but also helps them continue to be able to um, um, put their learning uh, to work. And um, and it helps them stay compliant with whatever they learn. And so yeah, it continue, yeah, and if if <clears throat> I mean what we've learned about coaching, I mean one of the reasons coaching works is because it's it takes place over time, and you know all of us, especially some of those who are you know my age, you know have a lot of experience attending two and three day workshops, are very intense, and and you're you like, know, wow, that was great, it was great. And you go you, back and you, you I got put a your, folder, put it on my bookshelf, <laughs> and then <laughs> exactly, what was that thing I learned six right. months ago? Exactly, I think one of the things that's been missing has been sort of the, the coaching process, which is still linked to the individual's learning objectives so that they continue to be able to, to um, um, 
continue their learning, and you can actually continue to tailor that as they move through. But um, And then one of the things that we've done is we've looped those back uh, so that um, the the graduates of Cohort 1 become mentors for the participants of Cohort 2. Oh, that's so, a cool but idea. That's built like into that. the, so they, there's yeah. a, they're, you're managing their expectations so they know that going in. Yes. That this is part of an ongoing program. You're going to, after you graduate, then you'll become a mentor for the next group. Correct. And, and you know, I mean, if you look at, you know, the great thinkers of leadership, you know, one of the, you know, one of the real responsibilities of a leader is to be a mentor. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, that's, and it, again, it's another reinforcement of the learning that took place while they were, so group, when group cohort one was in their active learning um, program, um, this is becoming a mentor now to cohort two helps to continue to reinforce that sure. all that formal learning and exposure that they were given. Now, in, are you finding that companies are um, doing a good job right now in identifying high potentials and um, kind of no, coaching I, them up? I don't think so at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, you know, um, you know, I think the identification pro- most, I think the identification process that most companies follow uh, and and to to identify high potentials misses a lot of people to the criteria because you have to look at how the whole process is set up. Right. So how are they doing it now? Well, I think that um, you know, and uh, practically speaking, what I see is um, executives um, picking particularly favored um, members of their team that they want to to promote or have be seen as more promotable sort of individually selecting those, promoting those people to, you know, uh, whoever the selection, the final selection board or committee might be. That's a big part of it. And there's a lot of pressure. You know, I was in one situation where um, recruits, because the the organization's high potential program was well, highly regarded, that um, executives were were making commitments up front to high potential recruits that they would get admission oh. to their high potential program. I if got they the opportunity you know, right. to give you the golden ticket. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. And so <clears throat> I, I think that that's a, um, so I, I think there's a lot of flaws in there, you know, and, and most of the time these programs are not really linked back to the longer term corporate strategy, I think. So what's a better way to do it? Well, I think, first of all, I think looking at where, what the company's long-term strategy is and trying to see where the holes might be, and, you know, there are a lot of really good tools that aren't being used out there in terms of succession management, succession planning. There's a lot of good models that most companies aren't following. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think beyond, um, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, the names on a, on an org chart on the wall, um, there's a lot of, there's a little more sophisticated approaches that could be taken. Really looking at, again, I mean, it's oversimplification to say it this way, but if you look at what the company's long-term strategy, long and short-term strategies might be, look at what the existing bench strength is and then trying to figure out where are the holes and who do we have internally that might be able to fill those roles mm-hmm. you know what are the the potential what what's the, what are, what what is their promotability and what are the potential timelines for that to happen um, but i mean as we all know most companies aren't really aren't aren't, aren't approaching it as, as sophisticated but is this something that you think that they should be kind of doing assessments for more people to cast a wider net so that you don't miss some of the people that maybe aren't an obvious choices? Well, one of the things that I've seen work best is to make sure that there's a self-nomination component uh, and leave that open. And so we've seen some people that were overlooked 
by management, particularly one organization. It was they they were particularly uh, they had they were sort of an egalitarian management approach anyway. So this fit well within how they manage their business. But um, you know we tried it both ways. We had it once where it was um, all self-nomination, and then the second time we did it was all uh, management. Um, uh, and it was the exact same people both times. Uh, no, actually, no. We well, what happened was what <laughs> what happened was the the sec the third time we did it, we said, you know, we think we missed some people, right, because of management's uh, preconceived ideas and 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 just the way that people um, went about choosing um, because of the the rash the reasons for selecting certain people for high potential programs. Maybe because they were concerned they might lose someone, or they right? Might, right. So it wasn't necessarily. And the, I, I would think there's some just an inherent bias of the leadership. Like, I, you know, people like people like themselves. So you might miss maybe minorities or people absolutely. of different genders, just because you're not looking in that direction. No question. And and um, when we when we had a combination of self nomination and management nomination. We think I think that was probably the best. That was the most effective. Yeah, yeah way because of. we picked up some people through the self-nomination process that would probably have been missed, and as mm-hmm. it turned out, say were some of the best uh, participants. Wow. Yeah. So I want to know more about your backstory. Go ahead. You can get you a swig of water. <laughs> okay. Well, you get you a swig of water though. I I just because your work sounds fascinating to me. It sounds like it must be an awful lot of fun. Very rewarding. Um, but I'd be interested. And I think our listeners might too. Your backstory, a little bit about how how you got to this place. Oh, that's a perhaps. You get to choose uh, well, how far back you go. You get to self nominate. Oh, okay. How far well, back you get? Self nomination. I was born in Rex Hospital in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, no, I um, uh, I'm a, I characterize myself as a recovering entrepreneur, um, and I, I had a company that I started literally in a one room executive suite office over here in Las Colinas back in '94. And three or four years later, I looked up and I had 40 or 50 people working for me. And we had, we're doing three or four million a year in revenue. And uh, so um, I kept that business for a total of 10 years, sold it uh, 10 years ago. And um, as I was looking around, thinking about what I would do next, um, this whole um, field of succession management kept coming up. I had been fortunate in my company that I had exposure to a lot of uh, thought leaders in the HR world and people kept suggesting that you know while with your background and experience you've had perhaps this leadership development um, succession management area would be a good place to put some focus so uh, that's what I did and um, I uh, elected to go back to school I finished a one-year graduate course and uh, coaching and then I rolled that over into a doctoral program so I'm writing my dissertation now I will hopefully in January I'll be uh, have earned a Ph.D. in human and organizational systems. And then maybe you can get a job. Yeah, maybe get a job. <laughs> you get a paying job. <laughs> no, I think I'm, unfortunately, I think I'm condemned to the entrepreneurial world. So is the prospectus, has it been approved or have you, how far? Yeah, you? well, yeah, I have my, uh, my, uh, uh, and, and this university that I'm attending, we have a, um, what's called a concept paper. So my concept paper has been approved. Sweet. I just actually just yesterday with my pilot study was uh, signed off on by one of my faculty, my, committee members so I'm, I'm i'm looking at a grad january graduation i hope unless some other unforeseen things get thrown <laughs> so are you allowed front. to talk about what you're going to be studying or researching or well um the um the topic of my dissertation broadly speaking is really around belief formation it's how people come to believe what they believe and it's a very very complex uh issue yeah, quite honestly yeah because it's we're our beliefs are formed by a variety of different factors 
And so teasing those out about how we come to believe what we believe. And it, you know, it, it, it's connected directly to what I do when I do coaching. Because a lot of people's beliefs about themselves and about others really what impact how they get their job done or don't get their job done. Most of the work I do is in corporations, coaching stuff. So now um, when you do your work in corporations, they're telling you, hey, fix Bob, or is Bob coming up to you and saying, hey, I need a coach because I want to you know, do better? Sometimes it's a little of both. <laughs> um, what, what's good about coaching is that you know, even uh, probably as recently as a decade ago, a lot of coaching was used for remediation. You know, right. you know, a lot of people, executives, well, it was coaching was something that you offered to someone before. You fired them. Right. right yeah, if you got a coach, that was like, oh, no, I got a coach. <laughs> right. You better start looking. Right. And, and now, actually, it's become, it's interesting. Uh, I now was, it's uh, a perk. Right? It is a de- very definitely a perk. It's very definitely a perk. And it's, it's really interesting to see how it grows. I was uh, engaged by, uh, several years ago, I was engaged by executive vice president of a, uh, it was a, a billion-dollar division of a Japanese corporation. And uh, he engaged me directly through a referral, and he had some. He was he was new in a role, and he uh, was uh, he had some hesitations about some things, and really felt like he needed to think through it. So, I, but anyway, we wor- we worked together for a few months, and it w- it went well. And he asked me to come back and work with all three of his senior vice presidents, which I did. And then um, then they asked me to come back and work with all of their vice presidents. Wow. Did. So what happens, it's exactly what happened because, you know, through some of the information gathering techniques that I do, trying to learn about people, 360s and other things, people say, well, what's this all about? Mm. Well, why is he getting it and <laughs> right. I'm not getting it? Right. I want some of this. <laughs> so, uh, so they don't, it has, but that's interesting because they don't take it as um, – like a weakness they're not saying oh he's trying to fix me they're looking at it as look i'm going to be better because i'm going through this that's great well i think it's now is it's become accepted as a as a learning tool you know and i and that we talked you mentioned earlier transformative learning um it was mentioned here uh, and that's really um i think what uh, many of my coaching clients are seeking they're seeking to be transformed in some way by uh, they're looking for some way to transform right uh, and and um you know one-on-one uh coaching is a very good way of accomplishing that it's very precise you know coaching is a very efficient way of growth actually it's i think probably the most efficient way to grow can you share a little bit of what what does that first session look like is that typically over the phone in person uh ideally it's in it's in person um, you know, you get to read a lot, and, and I think it's, it's an important part of, sort of creating chemistry with someone. I just had a session the other day with a woman who's a, a top marketing communications person for a large company here in the Dallas area, and she's had some challenges getting adjusted to heights, a new company, relatively new company, high right. profile, a lot of money, a lot of pressure. Uh, and a lot of change, and so. Um, um, you so know, she was, engaged you her, for herself personally, or the company? The companies, yeah. But most of the most of the time, the company foots the bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so what does that first session look like? How do you kind of well, get the lay of the land and seeing the best way to help her? I, you know, really w- with her, it was we jumped right into it. Um, you know, we so were. So she's coaching. like, I have this challenge. This is keeping me up at night. Right. Yeah, we jumped right into it, and um, you know, I started working with her in a coaching mode. You know, from within. Is that unusual? That's pretty typical. Because what I want to do, it's actually a good part of us figuring out whether we're going to work well together. 
um, he or she can determine whether I have the skills and ability to help them. And then I can help, you know, can I assess whether it's that I can indeed help them. So it's a really good way for us to kind of figure out to, to, to work with one another. How long does it take before the person being coached knows if this is a good fit or not? Is it something like at the end of that hour, should I expect to be changed in some manner? <laughs> I think certainly at the end of the hour, you should have a very strong sense of whether uh, that coach can help you. If you don't feel that strongly about it at the end of an hour, then you probably need to continue to look. And a good coach is going to know too, right? A good coach is going to know if the right chemistry is there or not. Yeah, and I'm of the opinion that a good coach can really work with anyone. You know, I, I think there are people out there that say, "Well, I have to have a." And I, I'm, I'm not so sure sometimes that the the, the potential coachee or the client is really the best person to decide. <laughs> no, seriously, because no, sometimes it yeah. may not feel good. Right. It may not be comfortable. In fact, if coaching, if a coach is doing his or her job, then sometimes they may be putting their client in a place that they're not comfortable being. But that's part of what you should be doing is challenging your client. Right. Because if every time the client pulls the plug, it when it gets hard or it, it's painful, then they're not going to grow, right? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, likely. Yeah. So what's next for you? You're uh, going to write a book? You're gonna do, I know, well, you're, you're going to get, get your doctorate, PhD. Right? Well, what else you want the guy to do? Uh, actually, there are probably a couple of books that will probably spin out of this doctorate. And, uh, you know, I have some other things that um, as because of the volume of research that you have to do in order to do a good dissertation, uh you know, you, it's like starting out boiling the ocean, and then you end up with a little tiny crucible of stuff. And that little crucible of stuff is something that you and only a handful of people in the world really know about or even care about. And so, but, but, so, so in the process of getting to the dissertation, which I'm getting there now. Uh, I've uncovered a lot of other things that were interesting to me. And a lot of cool stuff you can go work on as soon as you get done with your dissertation. A lot of cool stuff I can go work right, on when I yeah. get done. But I actually think there's some things out there that, that I'd like to write about and to uh, mm. to get clear about in myself in, uh, in my own mind and maybe some books that will come out of that, yeah. So uh, it sounds to me like this may be absolutely a non-issue, but I'm always curious. How does the sales and marketing aspect of this thing work for like a practice like yours you built up a business you mentioned right. earlier um so like if, if if you're wanting to go out and, and continue to do this kind of work how does the sales and marketing piece work are you just at a point in your career that the phone rings or do you have to develop like an approach to go out and how does that pee or do you know yet well no that's a really good question i, I thought think. It was, look it took me a minute to get it out <laughs> but i thought it was a fantastic question that's a very good well and i think that's a question that that majority of coaches struggle with um and there's a lot of fluff out there in the coaching community and the coaching profession about finding your ideal client that's the one thing that a lot of coaches hear a lot about you know mm. when you're in you're, you're training and coaching you really need to be clear about what kind of person you want to work with and where are they going to be and where you're going to find them and you need to go hang out in those places all that stuff you know, fortunately for me, um, you know, I've been at it a while, and as I've developed a, 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 a reference list, and, and I have a lot of work that comes to me through referrals and, and uh, just because of people that know of me and know me or know of me. Um, but I think that, um, you know, I mean, being on the radio doesn't hurt. Uh, I think there, there, are, there are a lot of ways that, um, you know, publishing articles, getting uh, you know, it's a, that uh, that unpaid media. You know, is a is a is a good way. Um, so when this I, thought leadership, this con- having continuing to contribute to the profession with stuff that you can. That, so that's a part. 
sounds like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, writing, uh, I was asked to write uh, the, 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 the accrediting body for coaches, the, the preeminent accrediting body for coaches is the International Coach Federation. And they have a must uh, be true because he's the second guy to say that. So. Well, yeah, right. You say it often enough, right? And, and it, it becomes true. We're going to send ICF a bill. Yeah. You should. <laughs> two interviews now. You, you should. But 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 I was asked by them to to make some contributions to their their uh, their blog that's on their global you know website, and mm-hmm. I've, I've uh, presented at a couple of conferences. And and, things and like you that. also do good work. So that well, helps. That's too, not right? a bad sales well, tool, right? That's a good. Yeah, sales I think if you're, I, I can't imagine being in coaching for any reason other than you really just enjoy it. I mean, there's nothing more enjoyable to me than sitting across the table or in a, in a chair from someone and helping them with a really important uh, career or life decision. It's just the most rewarding thing you can do. And, and well, to it's watch, a passion too, isn't it? Uh, well, it is with me. And, you know, I think that um, uh, uh, it's just a, uh, I can't imagine doing any of this more rewarding, fulfilling. In fact, I have. A, I mean, there are probably things that I could go do where I could do make a lot more money. But um, you know, when people ask me all the time, "What would you really want to do?" I swear, I really just want to coach. I mean, it's loved. I'd love to. I could do that all. It's although it's probably one of the most physically demanding things I've done. Now, I have a question. Uh, I, we were talking earlier about high potentials. Can you, can you talk a little bit about if any of this can translate maybe to younger people and um, so we don't lose some kids early on that, in my view, everybody has a chance. They have potential, right? And uh, in the school system, some people fall through the cracks and don't get opportunities and get chances. And you mentioned as part of your dissertation belief, and I was wondering if some of that would um, come into play at a young age. You know, there's a wonderful guy and a very interesting guy here in Dallas. His name is Eddie Dean. If you've ever been to a barbecue event in downtown mm-hmm. Dallas, Eddie Dean's, uh, uh, he's a caterer. He catered uh, President Bush's uh, white dinner at the uh, barbecue mm-hmm. at the White House's inauguration. Recredi- uh, catered both uh, Governor Bush's uh, uh, inaugurals uh, in Austin. He just uh, catered uh, Governor Abbott's, Abbott's uh, inaugural. Uh, inaugural celebration in Austin. Um, I've come to know Eddie recently, and Eddie has uh, does a tremendous amount. In addition to doing making good barbecue and, and having a really good business, he does a lot of work with homeless, and he does a lot of work with kids. And Eddie has an idea. He said, you know, these kids are, he said, they're like ships without pilots. And, uh, and, and, tr- and he's the homeless, many of these homeless people are, kid, are, are, are ships without pilots and uh, does a lot of work with vets, PTSD, et cetera. He and I had a two-hour conversation the other day about this very thing. And so, yeah, I think that, um, you know, and he and I both agree that there's sort of a crisis of consciousness in, in our world. And uh, self-awareness is a lot of what we do in coaching. and We help people raise their level of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, as far as, kids are concerned or young people coming up um i think that um um being aware being conscious of who you are and making sure that you are the pilot of your ship and a lot of kids lose that pilot and they lose it through tragedy and they lose it through abuse uh these are things eddie has has identified in all his work he's a really interesting guy I mean, he went to texas a&m grew up in east texas just kind of cowboy boot wearing kind of guy he grew up on a working ranch and Mm -hmm. and just uh just in east texas um but a very 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 bright guy and just through his 
uh, experience and just watching people has learned a lot of things that are very valid. So he and I are going to collaborate on some things. Right. You know, I told him the other day, I said, you know, Eddie, um, there's a lot of academic uh, uh, support for the ideas that you're holding. But this, so so in a, in a way, that's what coaching is doing is bringing in this academic theoretical stuff to practical stuff. You know, mm-hmm. how do you take what you can, what we know about human behavior and psychology and, and, and consciousness and how do we bring that together to help, help people and change their behavior and change Change their their behavior and change their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's back to that transformative learning, Mm -hmm. right? So someone can be truly transformed through learning. Eddie has an interesting, he has a, a bicycle that has, it calls it his wrong way bicycle. If you turn the bicycle to the right, the wheel goes to the left. <laughs> you turn the bicycle to the to the left, the wheel goes to the right. And he said he he said I've offered people as much as ten thousand dollars to ride my bicycle. He said because our brains see he's just a good smart mm-hmm. practical guy. Our brains have learned to to interact with the world in certain ways. So it's his way of demonstrating to people that it's the hard wiring and you need to right. change the hard wiring. And a lot of th- and we talked earlier about coaching. That's really kind of what coaching does. We over time we can change that hard wiring in someone's brain in terms of how they think about the world, how they interact with other people, even how they they uh, their beliefs about themselves. And you're going to bring his bike now when you start working for these companies. <laughs> well, make the executives right around we, the parking lot. You know, we're we're early <laughs> stages now, but 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 yeah, Eddie's got some great ideas. I think about uh, some things that make a lot of sense. And you know, his question to me was, you know, how do we? He, he wants to really take this some of his thinking and really help kids primarily right. and, and homeless and others. And I said, well, you know, I think there's a real need in the corporate world for some of this stuff. So we're talking about how we might do some things there. That's great. Yeah. Now, if somebody wants to learn more about your work, you have a website? Yeah, it's uh, edwinrankin.com. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for being part of the program. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it a lot. All right. We'll be back in a few from the conference room at Training Pros Dallas. This has been a special Business Radio X production brought to you by Training Pros, your source for local learning and development experts. Learn more at training-pros.com.